Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I am joined today by one of my great friends and colleagues in the House of Representatives, uh, Grace Ming of New York. She is an Asian American daughter of immigrants. She represents the sixth congressional district in New York. And uh, believe it or not, uh, she is the first and only Asian American member of Congress in the history of the state of New York. Uh, I find that surprising and interesting. Um, Congresswoman Ming serves on the very powerful Appropriations Committee in the House. That means even if I didn't just like her because she's my friend, I'd be really nice to her because she has a lot of influence in the Congress. And among her many accomplishments, um, she has passed legislation striking the term Oriental uh, from federal law uh, and is a great champion for the uh, AAPI community and for all of us, really. Welcome to my podcast, Grace. Thank you, Jared. Thanks for having me. So uh, I want to dive into a, a very timely and, and sobering subject. We're all horrified, of course, by the upswing in violence uh, against Asian Americans. Uh, we all uh, are especially uh, troubled and disturbed by the terrible mass shootings in Georgia. So I'd like to just ask how you and your family are doing. Uh, and if you would, if you'd share what it feels like to be one of the few Asian American voices in Congress right now in this moment. Sure. Well, I really appreciate your friendship, um, really appreciate all that you do uh, for our caucus and for our country. Uh, it's an honor to serve with you and uh, it's an honor to be your congressional classmate, too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for asking that question. It's been uh, a really, you know, odd time, I will say. You know, growing up, the Asian American community, the, the stereotype, but is often true, is that we are taught to mind our own business, not to rock the boat, you know, not to make a fuss and just try to blend in. Um, and so a lot of us have been talking, you know, ever since we were young, you know, you get the occasional racial slur thrown at you. And, you know, most of these actions are not really something that put you in physical harm's way. Um, and you just kind of keep it in, right? Mm -hmm. And I think with what's happening right now, you know, with the recent incidents of attacks on the elderly and the tragedies that occurred in Atlanta, it has really woken up a lot of people within the Asian community, but also beyond. And I will say that our community is just so heartened by the tremendous outpouring of interest, of support, and showing of solidarity from so many around the country. And that's really helped strengthen our voice and has really helped a lot. So as tragic as these incidents have been, there's also a sense of relief. It's almost like help is finally here. And, and how do we think of ways to move forward together? Yeah, let's follow up a little bit on that. Um, we know that crimes targeting Asian Americans have risen dramatically since the COVID pandemic began, uh, but this is not a new thing. Asian Americans have been discriminated against and scapegoated going back a long time in our country's history. And, and you know, Trump certainly 
fueled it with a lot of his ugly rhetoric and scapegoating. But this country has a really dark hit. I, I represent Angel Island, mm. uh, where, as you know, uh, Asian Americans, well, Asians at the time, uh, they became Americans, uh, were interned and treated terribly um, in, in a couple of centuries ago. How much of this current moment is a continuation of that old history? And um, how much is different, uh, do you think, in this current wave of hatred? That's a really good point. And actually, that's something that not many people talk about. It's probably not something that many people know about. You know, I've really been thinking a lot as I'm raising my boys that in this country and, you know, I was born and raised here, went here to went to school here all my life, but really have heard very little bit about the contributions and the history involving Asians um, to this country. So, you know, history like the Chinese Exclusion Act, the Chinese building the railroad, uh, Japanese Americans being incarcerated. There is such a history of Asians being scapegoated out of ignorant fear. Um, and a lot of times that's not been taught in depth in our history books. Um, and so I think going forward, that's something that we uh, need to do better as well, because as we've seen, history can repeat itself. So it's important for us to tell these stories um, and also important for us to tell stories that show that we're mutually helping each other, different communities working together and helping each other. That's not something we talk enough about either. How much has COVID played into this in your view? I think this was yet another example in this country where we were fearful. You know, COVID uh, is a global pandemic and especially a year ago when we didn't know much about it, we didn't even know whether or not to wear masks, if you remember, yeah. right? I remember being in a hearing in Congress and, and people were asking a briefing and people said, well, should we wear masks or not? You know, So there's a lot of information that was missing or misinformation. And what happens when there is a lack of information and then you have a leader of our country at the time with a super wide platform feeding that sort of misinformation and in a time when people might be looking for a scapegoat, uh, yeah. it was the perfect uh, formula for the incidents that are happening today. Yeah, the cognitive dissonance is uh, is amazing. On the one hand, Trump telling us it, it's just the flu, it'll go away, it's a hoax. And on the other hand, uh, inciting people to blame the Chinese. Definitely. So, um, what are some of the things, the main things you hear from constituents and people in the uh, Asian American community that you want to make sure gets more attention? So people are really scared. Um, and this is not just something that's happening in the last few weeks, but throughout this last year, I know a lot of people who are telling their parents and their grandparents, you know, don't go outside. If you need groceries, I'll deliver them for you. They're really scared that they're, the elderly are, are going to get beat up. And at the same time, what we've seen in recent weeks uh, is that parents are telling their kids not to play outside. I've had parents text me saying, sorry, I'm not going to let my kids play outside today. Um, so people are really fearful. Um, I think it's important. And I really appreciate this opportunity, especially as we're actually having a, a national virtual day of action today 
where we're just uplifting these stories because people, you know, outside of some of our circles might not even realize what's been happening. And so I think just recognizing the stories, telling the stories and just, you know, checking in on people in your own networks is incredibly helpful. Yeah, um, so we're doing an audio podcast, of course, but uh, you are wearing a shirt I want my listeners to know about. It says, I am an American. Uh, tell us about that. Well, you know, I think that seeing the stories coming out of Atlanta, uh, six of the eight victims were Asian women um, working a lot to be able to support their families. Some had families here, some had families back in their home country. And it's really lifted up um, a lot of voices, that first generation of immigrants, especially women, regardless of where you came from around the world, uh, who've come to this country, who've essentially given up their adulthood and their life so that they could um, create better opportunities for the next generation. Um, growing up, you know, my parents worked in a restaurant and I was kind of embarrassed about my parents because, you know, my parents wore clothes. My dad was a dishwasher and he just wore clothes that didn't look like the clothes that other parents wore. And so, you know, I'm really wearing this shirt that says I'm an American because I feel like as tragic as these events have been, it's finally made me feel, even though I'm an adult now in my 40s, that gosh, my story, even though it's weird and it's different from other people, but that's part of our American history too. And my family is just as American as any other family. And it's probably taken me a few years too long to actually realize that and to feel that in a, in a very authentic way. Wow, thank you for sharing that in, in such uh, honest terms. Um, so on hate crimes, I am told that scholars who study extremism and exploitation um, believe that there's this intersection of a bunch of dangerous uh, ideologies that, that play a huge role. We've got misogyny and racism and religious extremism and xenophobia, uh, you know, all layered in. And uh, all of these seem to be surging right now in our country. Uh, do you have any thoughts on how we can um, make progress in combating all of this ugliness, uh, which is so layered uh, in our nation right now? Really talking about it helps. I've kept in like that story that I share with you about how I felt about my parents growing up and the, the work clothes that they wore. Um, I've never shared that out loud until this week, like ever. And I'm in my 40s. Um, I just never felt comfortable. And so I think when we're taking a look at tragedies like Atlanta, you know, to, as with any tragedy, not just to talk about the, the stories of the perpetrator, but to talk about and celebrate the life of the victims. And because of these six women that were killed, we've been able to talk about their life, their sacrifices, which so many people can relate to, but haven't necessarily been viewed as part of the American story before. And so we need to recognize that there is an intersectionality of different issues, like you mentioned, you know, being seen as a foreigner, xenophobia, um, the objectification uh, of women, especially Asian women in our history, 
and even through our military sometimes, and racism in general. So these three all had something to do with each other in these killings. It wasn't just that the perpetrator happened to have a bad day that these happened. There was a lot of intent uh, that went behind that. Yeah, we, we know about what happened in Atlanta, obviously, because shots were fired, people were, were hurt and killed. But there are a lot of hate crimes that still don't get reported, right? And you talked about how there is this um, tendency for people to want to just absorb it and not speak out. How can we get more people to speak out uh, about hate crimes? Sure. Well, two of the pieces of legislation that we're pushing right now in Congress and President Biden has come out in support of um, some of this legislation is providing dedicated personnel at the Department of Justice in streamlining and reviewing these types of cases. We need to have better coordination and better allocation of resources to our local communities to make it easier for people to report. What we as leaders often will say to victims is, oh, just report it, go report it. But it's hard for people. If you are, and I've heard all these stories, you're on your way to work, you're taking your mom to the doctor, you got to pick up your kid, you don't speak English, you're scared to go to a new place, you're scared to go to the police precinct. There are a million reasons why people don't feel comfortable reporting. And I've actually met more people that haven't reported what's happened to them than I have met people who have reported them. So we have to find ways to make it easier, um, if anything, for you know data and statistics so we can get a more complete picture of what's happening. Now, you've got some legislation, right, to address the rise in hate crimes against uh, the AAPI community. Can you tell us more about that? And I, if I'm not already co-sponsoring it, I hope you'll add me as a co-sponsor. Thank you so much. Um, so this legislation, the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, is legislation sponsored by me and Senator Hirono. We actually wrote this legislation way before Atlanta happened. We just wanted to make sure that our local communities had more resources um, to make it easier to report uh, these types of incidents, whether they end up to be hate crimes uh, or not. And so we're thankful to leadership for seemingly um, paving the way to move it forward and just really, you know, thankful for the support of so many of our colleagues. So I know many of my constituents would like to do something meaningful to support uh, the Asian American community right now. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions for them? And I'll let that be the, the final question. It's been a great conversation, but please, I, I wanna pass some, some actionable uh, suggestions on to my constituents. That's awesome. Homework for all of us. Um, well, today is uh, happens to be our National Virtual Day of Action. This is an idea that really just was born out of the community. We had people from, you know, uh, authors and longtime activists to people who've never attended a rally before, people who've never registered to vote before, and they wanted to show support or they wanted to ask people in their workplace or in their school to show support. So um, people came up with this National Day of Action. We're asking people to you know, post something on social media if you have, uh, hashtag stop Asian hate, 
Um, companies, for example, can post a statement on how you are supportive of the Asian American community and you condemn racism. And this is one symbolic day, but we hope it is a first step in conversations that will continue um, with whether it's companies and their employees, uh, academic institutions and their students, um, et cetera. Some people have also asked about bystander training. Um, I will say that there's a group, uh, I'm not involved with the group, it's called Hollaback, um, H-O-L-L-A-B-A-C-K, and they have put out a lot of bystander trainings. You know, this is just really basic, like if you see something happening, uh, verbal altercation, if you want, you know, how you can effectively intervene. And so some people have found that to be um, really helpful as well. That's terrific. Thank you for that. And uh, Grace Ming, your uh, leadership has been uh, so outstanding uh, in this moment, and you're always a great colleague and a great member of Congress. So thanks so much for joining me on my podcast. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. And uh, it was so much fun and so meaningful. Off the Cuff is produced by Marin's own Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Temp Love. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cuff with Jared Huffman.